Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. The Monsters We Defy. It's written by Leslie Penelope and read and performed by Shana Small. It is an NPR Best Book of the Year. An audiophile magazine wrote of Small's reading. She imbues her voice with the power of the spirits and the determination of a black woman with the power to talk to them. And it's set in 1925 Washington, D.C., weaving a historical fantasy and African-American folk magic, history, and romance in a tale of a heist to set one woman free. That's the official description. I spoke to the ladies about their award and also their fantastic audio historical fantasy drama. And first of all, congratulations, ladies, for the award. I think that is uh, fantastic. How does that feel? Start with Leslie first. Yeah. So I was like, well, it's really her award. It's Shana's award. No, no, I, I always feel like my job is easier when the book is really, really good. Oh, sure. <laughs> it's always a privilege. I'm always really happy when a, a really good book gets uh, notoriety. So, I'm, you know, this is my first time actually seeing Leslie and talking to her in person. So this is also yeah. wonderful. Oh, wow. Um, well, this, this is uh, this is the twenty first century. It's kind of normal. These <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, very happy I was nominated, and that uh, that people get to see and hear about your work. So, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I was totally over the moon, and just when I heard the audiobook at first, I was just so excited because you know you never know because and it's a whole different interpretation, and it was just yeah, you did such a wonderful job, and I, I really just adore the audiobook so much. <laughs> there is more sci fi talk, so stay tuned. So when you're writing for audio, does that change compared to what it was in print or or is it the same? It's the same book. It, I didn't write a different version or make any addition, any changes for the audiobook. But um, a couple of years ago, I did start writing my manuscripts with the idea of audio in mind. I think with maybe my first experiences with audiobook narration and hearing how narrators you know, if it's not specific enough, it can be misinterpreted. And if I'm just writing, thinking about reading it on the page, not even thinking about how it would sound read out loud, it's just a different perspective. So I'd shifted my mindset as a writer and started thinking about, okay, kind of audio first, like it's going to be fine on the page no matter what, but is there something I can do to make it potentially easier for a narrator to record it? So you get the script, Shana, and um, I, I guess you had a director as well or somebody in the in, you know, with you uh, recording? There was an engineer. An engineer. Wow. So it's really just you. Just me on this one. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's written really well and really specific. So it was like, okay, let's mm -hmm. go. You know, Leslie, what surprised you about her? And I, this is another thing too. I don't call it reading. It's a performance because that's really what it is. And even though you might take a step back as a narrator, but when you're the characters, you're the characters. Mm -hmm. So I look at it as more of a performance than it's it's just a different stage, but that's really what it is, you know, to me. Yeah. So off the soapbox, uh, Leslie, <laughs> what is your reaction when you first heard the the audio version of this? Yeah, it's like hearing the characters brought to life and 
you know, they sound a certain way in my head when they're right when I'm writing them. Um, and just hearing Shana's interpretation was was really amazing because I thought it was spot on. You know, it's like it's so yeah. similar to what I had in my head for these characters, and that's not always the case. So I was really just delighted. I, I everyone was so distinct, and the energy was there that I was trying to come, you know, have come across from these characters. It's like you felt their energy. Um, so yeah, it was just a really good experience. Uh, for for me, not having anything to do with it aside from writing the actual words, um, I, I was yeah, I was super excited when I heard it. Cool. Let's talk about your characters, Clara Johnson. Now her skill is she can talk to spirits, which is pretty cool. So kind of tell us a little bit about her, so that maybe people that haven't read it kind of get to know her a little bit. Sure. So yeah, The Monsters We Defy, it's a heist story that takes place in 1925 in Washington, D.C. And Clara Johnson is our main character. She's a young woman who has a past. Uh, she was born with the ability to talk to spirits. And then over the course of her life, she made a deal with another spirit. Um, and so these deals give people charms and tricks. And a charm is sort of like a, a bonus power, and a trick is the downside. And several of the characters in the novel have both of these that they're usually trying to get away from. You know, it's kind of you make a deal with the devil almost uh, and to get out of a situation or to create something in your life. But the downside is always there. And so, yeah, Clara is prickly. She uh, she doesn't suffer fools. She doesn't have a lot of patience. Um, she's really in touch with her anger. <laughs> and she was a she was a good character to write. She's nothing like me, but <laughs> she was just a lot of fun. And she's actually based on, on, a, on a real person that I found during the research. And so <gasps> just creating a fictional world for this character. Fantastic. To pull off this heist, she needs a team. And she assembles one. And this is, these, these are cool powers, I think, if you want to call them powers. But a jazz musician who can actually hypnotize people with a melody. And then you have an aging actor who can actually change his face. Talk about them a little bit. And then, Shane, I'm going to ask you about how you, when you saw it on the page, how you're going to play these different voices so that you differentiate them from each other. But first, Leslie. Yeah, so everyone has, you know, a backstory and we go into that briefly in in the novel and these little interstitials, they're sort of short stories that I have so that you get to know the characters because it's, it's all from Clara's perspective. We're in her head essentially for the whole story, but I thought it was important to figure out this team that she gathers together and some of them are more like she's reluctant to have them, you know, she doesn't really feel like she needs friends, but she's in the situation where she has she has to have other people to pull off this heist and to do this thing that she's trying to do. So yeah, Israel Lee is a musician. He's really a popular musician. He's in, you know, one of the hottest bands, jazz bands. We're in the jazz age. And he's sort of just doing whatever he has to do. So, you know, he'll play whatever kind of music. He just he loves music and that Aristotle is the actor. I, I wanted to have a character who was an older character in this time period, just because when I, you know, there's so much, so much I discovered during the research. And I was kind of fascinated with the idea of a black actor who had to, at some point, be in blackface in order to perform, because uh, that was a reality. And it's just a small part of it. But things like that, where you have these little ideas that have informed this person's life and their character, and maybe you can see why they've made some of the decisions that they have. 
And Aristotle is also a gay character in this time period. And so, you know, he just has a lot of pressures on him. And then the other member of the team with power is Jesse Lee, who can manipulate memories. And he's a oh, Pullman cool. Porter. Because I right. wanted to have Pullman Porters. I was just like, I had, okay, what can I do? This is the 20s. What's like the black stuff I can have in here? Okay, yeah, Pullman Porter, jazz musician. These are the people that I want to have. And of course, Zelda is our character who does not have any powers, but she is one of mo- most people's favorite characters. She was a circus performer. She's a young woman who has albinism. And so there's a history of Black people with albinism taken and, you know, forced to perform in circuses as freak show uh, participants. Uh, But she hasn't let any of that get her down. And she doesn't actually need any powers to be pretty awesome. So, yeah, Shana, you you got all these characters. Yeah. How did the the voices come to you for these people, for these characters? It's based a lot on, I guess, their personality i don't know i i always i'm speaking of zelda like i i heard her voice as as somebody who is very outgoing who's um brash who is unafraid who is confident even when she's not confident or you know what i mean um i guess it's born out of the their attributes i suppose um i don't i don't really know it just kind of it happens i don't i don't know that i like do a ton of like uh thought into exactly what it's going to sound like it just kind of like as i start to speak it just kind of uh morphs or it gets created while i'm there yeah would you say that maybe they speak to you in a certain way maybe maybe i like that yeah yeah yeah. because writers always tell me that when they're writing sometimes a character will walk in the room Mm-hmm. And sit down and say, you got to do something with me right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and that happens. So maybe that's the case. But obviously, you're performing things a little different. But maybe yeah. whatever, however, mystically happens. <laughs> they talk <laughs> to you and uh, and here you go. You know, it's I really- mean, I've, I've already like said that the book is great and it's always easier when the book is great. But it really is true um, when when it's written with that kind of specificity it's just easier to to uh, to hear it it's easier to differentiate between like person to person um even the the empress's voice was just it just felt like this mystical <laughs> like being or entity it just felt so clear in the writing so my job was so much easier from from that you know growing up i got very little Black history when I was being taught in school, which is a crime. I learned a lot on my own, <laughs> uh, you know, and um, but there is something in this book I want to talk about because I was unfamiliar about this. Washington, D.C.'s Black Broadway. Tell me about that, Leslie, because now my curiosity is that's something I want to look into. Yeah, so the original idea was to do something in the Harlem Renaissance era. Uh, and you know, that usually means Harlem, but I grew up in Maryland outside of DC and have a lot of family in Washington, DC. And so I spent a lot of time there and in the research, you know, I didn't actually know about black Broadway either until I started doing the research. I didn't realize that there were riots in 1919 in Washington, DC, part of the red summer. There's so much history that even though I've learned about black history, like there's so much specific stuff that just never, I can't, I never came across. And so, yeah, U Street, which is in uh, Northwest DC, right next to Howard University, essentially. And I went to Howard, was 
even when I was there in the 90s and in the 20s and 30s, 40s, up until the riots in the 60s, was just a hub of music and culture. So there were all of these theaters, there were, you know, vaudeville stages, and then the movies came in, there were movie theaters, nightclubs, dance spots, just all up and down the street. And it was this the, the hub of the neighborhood, which was an all-Black neighborhood for a long time. And uh, so... Yeah, I think that Pearl Bailey is the one who is credited uh, with calling it uh, U Street. I mean, Broadway, Black Broadway. Uh, and that was a little bit later, a little bit after this book takes place. But having that as the essence and knowing that theaters like the Howard Theater and the Lincoln Theater, which are still there. Um, the Lincoln's been around for a long time in terms of, in my memory, the Howard Theater was like defunct. It was empty and decrepit for a long time. And then it had this... Re- revitalization. So now it's all a venue for musicians again, as it was in the twenties. Oh, and nice. there's things like that that happen too. So even though right now U Street is completely gentrified, it's very, oh. very different than it was even you know 25 years ago when I was in college, uh, and it's definitely 100 years ago. It's mm. it still has some of that. There's still some clubs there. There's still some elements of nightlife that are like little peaks of what it used to be. That's amazing. Just as an aside, uh, years ago, my parents went to see Hello, Dolly with Earl Bailey and Cab Calloway. That, you know, I'm jealous I didn't get a chance to go, but it was a it was a parents date. So they, uh, (laughs) you know, they brought home the program and they absolutely said that they loved it. But they've always liked Pearl Bailey. I mean, she was a legend. I used to watch her as a kid on television all the time whenever she was on a variety show. So, uh, so yeah, they did that version and that was, it's interesting hearing about things like this. Um, as far as, you know, they're, they're magical elements, right? So did you draw from maybe African sources on some of those or uh, American or maybe a mix of both? Yeah, the the magic system in the novel was really drawn from things like conjure and hoodoo, which are essentially yeah. African American folk magic that have their roots in Africa. And then, um, you know, enslaved people came and brought their traditions, and then they all mixed from the different groups that are mixing together in the different languages and belief systems. And then you take a little bit of Christianity, and then there's some Native American uh, religious influences. And so you see that. It, throughout the South and throughout the just Black people brought it with them, you know, in the Great Migration. So the idea of this, uh, the charm and the trick, and, you know, there's always this balance, the idea that you have to have balance in anything. And some of the just core hoodoo things, like uh, there's a character, Uncle Nazareth, who is more like a a conjure, you know, a root doctor or a conjure man. And some of the characters look at him with suspicion and some of them believe in him. And taking ideas from that and then just putting my lens on it, trying to blow it out into something that I could write about. These characters, these spirits that are embodied, like Shana mentioned, the Empress, that's the spirit that Clara has her debt with. Different characters have debts with different spirits and they all have their own little agendas and they exist for their own purposes and we don't really understand it all. So yeah, it all has its roots in you know the sort of melange of beliefs that are different in different places and that sort of taking from, you know, stories I heard of my family and then some research that was done. Uh, but it's all very personal. I think, you know, even in people who are practitioners and there's still people practicing things like conjure and roots, uh, it's going to be very localized. It's kind of different in different places. And so 
pulling the general ideas and then trying to make it my own. There is more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. Hey, now, how did you kind of get into a 20s kind of mindset to, to, uh, to kind of immerse yourself, you know, at least in your head, in that environment? It was research. It was like the first few months. I wrote this book during the beginning of the pandemic. So while I couldn't go to libraries or anything. I did a lot of online research. I was ordering books and used books from different places that I, so I could read up on things. I read novels written in the time and yeah. uh, there's some like autobiographies. And so that was kind of how I got in the mindset of trying to read the words of people who were living in that time period and how they express themselves. And then also, what are these items that I wanted to include? What kind of history? What, what facts was I learning that I thought were cool and that people didn't know about? You know, like it just Black Broadway or like the drag balls and things. Um, mm. Just interesting things that that are real that I thought I could shine a light on in, inside of the story. So, Shayna, how did you get into that headspace of the 1920s? I don't know that I was... <laughs> I don't know I... Felt like I had to get into a headspace per se. I I do. I don't know. I do, I do feel like because the book has such rich history. I like, you know, you have to read it before you go in to record it and like you know look some stuff up. I was surprised at how much like the drag ball. I had no idea that. Yeah. I guess I never thought that there would. It's not like gay people only exist now <laughs> or like in the <laughs> earth of burning isn't the first drag ball, you know, but like I was so shocked and like pleasantly surprised. I, uh, I went to high school in Baltimore um, and my parents uh, work in D.C. a lot. So I, I've, I've been I've been to D.C. often and uh, have friends that, you know, went to Howard and um, have done all their schooling there. Um, but it was a really like pleasant surprise to read, to read about the history of that, of that city, just things I didn't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you add anything to the characters in their speech as far, you know, cause obviously how we talk, how we talk today, mm -hmm. how we talk today and how they talk then is probably not the same. Yeah. I mean, you'd be surprised. <laughs> There's, I feel like DC <laughs> is one of those cities that, uh, a lot of people, well, because of the migration, but a lot of people sound kind of Southern in D.C. It, it's, I'm just like, there's some Southern roots, you know what I mean? Yeah. For Black America because of that great migration. But I, there's definitely like pockets of D.C. that that sound kind of untouched sometimes. <laughs> I'm just like, where did y'all, did y'all, no one left this block? Y'all just stayed right there? And it, <laughs> in some ways, I feel like it's not too far off from, from what people, other than vernacular or like the phrasing. Yeah. Um, like it's actually that far off from how people sound it. Um, but I, you know, there are the, the sort of performing voice, like the cab Calloways that have that, there is that sort of like time period talk or. Yeah. Even if you're, you know, I don't know that in the twenties, but even if you listen to like the interviews of like Lorraine Hansberry in the, those are like the forties, because you can hear a sort of that style yeah, a lot of it was just <laughs> kind of the same, I think. I don't know. So how long did it take you to write this, uh, Leslie? This was actually one of my shorter books. I think I got the idea while I was finishing up my previous series. And then I turned that in. I think it was like April of 2020. Then I kind of dove right into this. 
And it was about about a year between turning in the first draft and then doing a revision, um, a little over a year. So that is like all the research. Yeah, it was, it was actually pretty fast. It's one of my fastest books ever. Hmm. Well, both of you, if you can comment, I mean, the reviews have been stellar. A publisher's weekly, weekly rather, book list, Auto, Autophile magazine, specifically on the audio version, all great reviews. Uh, I mean, that's, I mean, do you, do you ladies look at the reviews or just kind of take a step back or what's your reaction to all this positivity? I try not to look at the reviews generally, like the the trade reviews my publicist will send me and Jill, I guess she only sends them if they're good, hopefully, uh, because yeah, reading bad reviews, especially because I'm generally writing the next thing and that can be, that can hamper. But also you kind of, if you believe the hype, you kind of have to believe the haters too. I, I subscribe to that. So I'm grateful that people are having such a good response to it. I do get, you know, messages, DMs, emails, things like that from people who like it. And it, that's always amazing that it's connecting with readers. But yeah, I do try to stay away from the reviews just to keep myself sane and able to f- focus on the next project. I mean, same. You, that's it. That's all you have to say. On that. I mean, I, I when I first started reading, when I first started narrating audiobooks, I yeah see reviews on uh, Audible's website. Oh God. <laughs> so, yeah. I always warn narrators when just don't read them. Like, because it's, you know, people's opinions are people's opinions and it, it you know, it doesn't affect whether you get paid. Or not. Um, but you really do have to like, if you believe the hype, you have to believe there's some crazy people out there that, you know, that are emboldened by the, the uh, anonymity of the internet. And so. Well, I love the audio format. I mean, I've had, quite a few people on that have done audio. Um, I just spoke to a gentleman just early this week about it. So whenever it crosses my path, I usually say yes, because I, 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 it's a market that is really blown up because you can listen to it on so many different devices. Yeah. What's that, you know, part of the reason, you know, that's so popular and you get the awards is because of the popularity of this format. What's it been like for both of you, starting with Leslie first, that this real renaissance for audio, it used to be there were what, you know, DVDs or discs or compact discs, and you had to put them, play them in a player or in your car, if the, if a car had one. Uh, and now because of phones and, you know, in Bluetooth, you can download it on your phone and play it in your car as well. So. The technology is really, cha- it's a game changer right now for this. So what's your thought on on that in this particular market and uh, and how it's blown up? I, I love audiobooks. I love audio. I, I do a presentation for authors because I also have a podcast and, you know, podcasting and audiobooks, just the audio revolution. Yeah. You know, audiobook growth is like in double digits every year for the past 10 years. And it just, it widens your audience. Yeah. You know, I, I got an email a few weeks ago from a blind reader who was asking about the audiobooks. And I was grateful to be able to say, yeah, these are all these are in audiobooks that you can, you know, listen to these books. Um, and also people with just other, you know, older or just people who like to listen rather than read, you know, for a variety of reasons. And yeah, I think that the audio revolution is great. The the speakers, I won't say the name, but like the smart speakers have allowed people to <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. have more access as well. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of, of writing, like I said, I do think about it because it's so popular and it's because it's so much on the rise and it does take a little bit of a different mindset. Um, sometimes in editing, you know, they tell you to either read your book out loud or have the computer read it to you because you can hear errors, you can hear typos that your eye just skips over. And that also helps to say, oh, well, if this was like a human narrator, would they get tripped over, uh, tripped up over this? Do these names sound the same? Are there attributions for who's speaking? Is it really clear if you're not actually reading, you know, um, things like that, that I think about and just word choice and the rhythm of prose and things like that, which, you know, the interpretation by a narrator can bring something additional to it that just on the page isn't there. So it can be an additive, you know, it can be like a bonus um, hearing it in your ear as well. So Shana, have you, do you you notice being busier as a result of all these audio projects? Yeah, I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, I, uh, it's funny. I never really, I don't really listen to audio books. I always like to, I prefer, I think to, and I think my profession, of course I have to read them as well, but I, uh, I've always preferred the actual page. Um, and I also find myself getting like, when I do listen to it, I'm getting distracted by like, oh, I wonder, that's an interesting choice at the near, you know, it, it feels like work. Yeah. <laughs> the way. Um, but I'm definitely grateful for it. I, when I first got out of school, I don't think that to, to age myself, um, iPhones had like just become a thing and um, Audible app like definitely changed how everyone was listening to, to my mom was listening to audiobooks and, you know, it's, it's great. It is great. So Leslie, uh, what's, what's next for you? Well, I just turned in my next book three days ago, actually. Um, we don't have a title yet, but it's another historical fantasy that takes place in an all black town in the South. That's going to be destroyed by a, a new dam. It's going to be drowned by a dam. Oh. Where and in the so South? There's, I don't name the state, uh, okay. so I wanted to, it's like the deep south, essentially. It's a town called Awanasa, but um, okay. there's this mysterious stranger comes to town saying he can save the town. So there's, it's, uh. it's like a, it's not a sequel. It's not in the same series as The Monsters We Defy, but it's got some of the same themes of community and family and things like that. So I'm really excited about that. Mm-hmm. I love how it's like history. There's so many black towns that have been built over, highways built over, right? Yeah destroyed in all different ways yeah yeah there's a, a a town and i i we also have a place in mount pleasant south carolina and they actually it's really to the credit to the local people and not just african americans but they actually preserved a a town that was there that was an african american town going way back and uh they had you know they they zoned it where Essentially, they can't do anything to that town area, and they restored a lot of the older homes and stuff. So, you know, we have a tendency in America that we kind of tear something old down and put something new in its place. You go to Europe, that's why it's so amazing, because you have all these old buildings and things. But we don't do that. Uh, But um, I wish we did. But, uh, yeah, it's great that uh, to preserve that history, because it's all history. American history, as far as I'm concerned, that's really cool. That's that's great. To, I, you like playing in this playground, the the historical fantasy kind of thing. Yeah, I, the next book I'm about to start writing is going to also be historical fantasy. So that's where I'm at for the next few books, at least. Okay, audio books in the future for both of those, maybe. 
Yeah, yeah. These days, it's hard to be a writer and sell a book to a traditional publisher without them wanting the audiobook rights. So wow, it's because it's that. so you know so lucrative for them. Um, wow. So yeah, looking forward to the audiobooks for both of those. Well, great. Again, ladies, congratulations. Really, it's uh, it's I, I, it's so important that people have a voice and get their stories out, and uh, to be recognized for something is always fantastic because you. You, you, we all kind of throw things out to the wind and we don't know if it's going to stick or not. And sometimes it doesn't. But uh, but to have that recognition is so important. So, again, congratulations. And uh, I, I I definitely want to listen to the audiobook. I think it's going to be I, I really would want to hear it. Just talking to both of you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Quick uh, plug. What's your podcast called? My podcast is called My Imaginary Friends. It's a look behind the scenes of an author's life from week to week. So. Oh, cool. Very cool. All right. Thank you, ladies. Best Thanks of luck much. to you. And again, congratulations. Thank you. Look for the monsters we defy wherever you get your audio.